Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, it's great to have you here with us this morning. I feel like I don't even need to give a sermon. That was so good. But I'll, I'll still give it to you. Don't worry. Hey, I have a question for you. Let's pull this up. Uh, which do you like better, Coke or Pepsi? I, I hear a lot of I hear a lot of Coke. I, I hear a lot of wise people out there. Here, here's the thing. Okay, uh, one time I, I got I got pulled over uh, because my inspection sticker was expired, and the cop asked a weird question. He said, "Sir, do you smoke marijuana?" I said, "Absolutely not. I'm a youth pastor. I try to teach people not to do that." And he said, "What's that residue on your gear shifter?" I was like, "Oh, that's where my wife spilled some Coke." Uh, Coca Cola, Coca Cola. If I had if I had gotten pulled over Pepsi, that wouldn't have been a funny story. So, next question: Do you go over or under? Yeah, you better say over. If you're under, uh, you no, don't do that. But I have I have a different question. This might be a little bit easier. If if money wasn't an issue and if you didn't have to pay taxes and all that other stuff. Um, would you rather have this car? This was my first car that I ever owned as a teenager. Would you ever have, rather have this car or this car? If, if money was an issue. Some, someone out there says, I like going to zero to 60 sometimes instead of in 5.2 seconds. Uh, what about this? Would you rather have this house? Uh, once again, it's free. Money is not an issue. You have a choice. You can have this house with no taxes, nothing, or this house. See, I think, you know, Paul in in 2 Corinthians 3 is going to compare two things. And and as he compares these things, he's going to look at which is better. One is glorious, but there's something that's that's more glorious. And so we're we're walking through the the Bible this year and and now we're we've made our way uh last week we were in 1 Corinthians, uh this week we're in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul wrote multiple letters to the church in Corinth. Um, some scholars think this may have been the third or fourth letter that he wrote, but by God's sovereignty, we have these two uh, that are part of God's canon. And in 2 Corinthians 3, we're basically about to read Paul's commentary on Exodus 32 to 34. So if you ever wonder what it would look like if if, uh, if an apostle wrote a commentary on an Old Testament passage, that's that's kind of what we have. So before we we dive into that, I want to re- remind you of what happened in Exodus 32, 33, and 34. Because when we preached through that, that was that was a while ago. That was probably last fall sometime. And so. Uh, if you remember, Moses went up into the mountain. As Moses went to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord, the people got restless. As they waited, they became impatient. And they got worried. And they went to Aaron and they said to Aaron, Aaron, make us gods that we can worship that will take us out of this land. And so, so Aaron goes and he gathers all the jewelry and he makes this golden calf and he makes it out of the out of the out of all the gold things and he says to them these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt and the next day he says we're going to have a festival to Yahweh he actually thinks that this is something for Yahweh and they have a festival and they worship the golden calf and and they eat and they participate which we looked at last week sexual immorality some other things and God's anger burns. And God tells Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out and just start over with you. 
And Moses intercedes for the people of Israel and and pleads with God. And so God says, all right, I I won't do that. And so Moses heads down and he finds Joshua. And Joshua goes, it sounds like the sound of of battle or of rejoicing. And and, and Moses is like, no, no, this is is the sound of defeat. And Moses sees the people worshiping the golden calves. And he, he throws the Ten Commandments down and breaks them. And he goes down and... He says, who, anyone who's, among, who's for the Lord come to me, and the Levites come to him, and, and they go out and execute judgment, and 3,000 die, and then the Lord sends a plague, and, and others die. And then we fast forward, uh, and to, then Moses goes back up uh, to get the, the Ten Commandments again. Uh, but because of everything that had happened, uh, we're, I'm going to pick it up. Uh, Here in verse 34, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of law in his hands, this is the second time, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands that the Lord had given to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses, Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now, I, I skipped something in verse 33, that during this time, uh, God said, if my presence is there with the nation of Israel, that I will judge them. And so he actually... They set a tent of meeting outside of the camp where Moses would go and meet with the Lord, separate from the camp, and separating his presence. They lost the presence of the Lord. And so now, every time Moses is with the Lord, he has this translucent face, and the people are scared because he's radiant, because he's been with Yahweh. And so that's some context that will help us everything we're about to read. So let's pray, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians 3. God, we always want what's best. We always want the thing that is better. In our lives, we often pursue different things that we hope will be better. But Lord, in the Scriptures, you tell us that we already have what's best if we've put our faith and trust in you. And Lord, help us to recognize that, help us to be thankful for it, and help us to walk in it, as Max said, to share with others this great truth that we have. Lord, today, whatever burdens or hardships that people bring to the church, Lord, I pray that you'll comfort them, give them your strength, and I pray that you'll speak through your word this morning, because your word is power. And so we just pray that you'll speak through it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, if you haven't already, open up to 2 Corinthians 3. It'll be there on the screen as well if you don't have your scriptures with you. In verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on the letters of stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not this ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? This is part of Paul's argument where he's expressing uh, the, his authentic, authentic authenticity, authentication, that's the word I'm looking for. Basically, he has a message to give because he's an apostle, but he's expressing the, the necessity of this. 
And he's saying there's this ministry that brought death. And in, 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 in verses 7 to 11, he's going to use this Hebrew method of argument that compares that which is lesser to that which is greater. And eight times he's going to use this word glory to compare the glory that was in Exodus 32 to 34 versus the glory that we as believers experience right now. Now, take a step back. When we originally preached through the Ten Commandments, I called it a law of love. And we had this whole sermon about how the Ten Commandments was actually a loving act of of the Creator God for His people. Because if you remember when we had that sermon, the pagan cities and pagan towns all around the Israelites had no idea how to please their gods or how to worship their gods. And so they would come up with all these crazy scenarios hoping to please their gods. And they do all these crazy things hoping that if they did those things, their God would be pleased. And yet God, the Creator God, told His people, this is what it looks like to please me. But not only that, we talked about how this great law of love is really for our flourishing. We'd all love to live in a community where there was no murder, there was no thief, there was, there was, no, there was no adultery, there was no coveting. We would love to live in that kind of place. And not only that, we would all individually thrive if we avoid those things, but more so if we pursue God above all else, if we don't have any idols before God, if we put Him as number one in our life. We would experience thriving. See, God's commands are actually for our thriving and for our benefit. But with that in mind, there's something that is also simultaneously true. The law of love was an act of love and blessing, but it also brought death. It was a ministry of death. Why? The Israelites couldn't even keep the law for one day. When Moses was bringing down the law from the mountain, the people were in the midst of idolatry. And if you read through the story of the Old Testament, you see time and time And time again, where the Israelites turned from the Lord and turned to worship idols. They continued to break these laws again and again, with God calling them stiff-necked people. So let's go back to that Corinthians passage. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, that's the Ten Commandments, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? When Moses came back down, his face was so bright that the people were afraid. I mean, you would be afraid if I showed up on Sunday morning and there's like, you know, beams coming out of my face. I think everybody would be a little concerned. I mean, I've had like, you know, I'd be concerned if I showed up and I had a full head of hair, let alone beams coming out of my face. But He says that the Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit is not going to fade. The law was meant to point to something different. The law faded. This this glory that Moses had was temporary. But the Spirit comes with this permanent, transforming power. As opposed to this limited access. Think about this. He's saying it's better to be us with the Holy Spirit than Moses who saw God face to face. We have a more glorious power. We often think, wouldn't it be great to be Abraham, to hear from God, to be Moses, to meet with God. But we have God dwelling inside of us every moment of every day. 
And we have that glorious power. Verse 9, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more is the ministry that brings righteousness? We saw in Exodus 32 that the giving of the law actually became a ministry that brought condemnation to the Israelites as they worshipped the golden calf. But the coming of the Spirit brought about a ministry that brings righteousness. The Old Testament prophesied about this time in Ezekiel. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The prophecy foretold of a time of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, a different letter by Paul, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. It means I don't need to worry about what other people are accusing me of or thinking of, unless I'm in sin, then I need to take that seriously. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, this is what Paul is talking about here, this new thing, the Spirit who gives life and has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the old law, the Ten Commandments, and the other laws of the Old Testament could not accomplish, because they were rules set for the benefit of the nation of Israel, how to live for God, how to th- have a thriving life. But at the same time, they brought condemnation because no one can fully follow those commandments. We've all broken them. We've all sinned. So what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by our sin, God did. He stood in our place. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. In other words, we can't attain it. We can't get there. We can't earn our way to salvation. So Christ died so those requirements for the Ten Commandments of other places could be fully met. So when I die and I go to the judgment seat, I can't go to God and say, and he says, well, why are you here? I can't say, well, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm a good person. I, uh, you know, the other day I, I uh, helped John carry something. I don't know if I did. My back's been bad. I don't know. I was nice to John. And, uh, and it was like, God's like, okay, you were nice to John. That's great. Here, we'll let you in. No. It's not because of something I did. I can't earn my way to salvation because there's been a lot of times that I've, I've failed. But instead, when I come to that great throne of judgment, I can say, I'm not deserving, but I believe in Jesus. Because He died in my place so that those righteous requirements can be met in Him. Because He fully met them. He died without sin in my place. Because I can't meet those righteous requirements. So in order that the requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We've been given new life. So the Old Covenant involved this legal relationship between Israel and God. If you do these things, God says, I'll bless you. If you worship false idols, you'll experience judgment. It set up God as a judge, and mankind was never able to, to attain perfection. Uh, William Barclay summarized the difference of the New Covenant. He said, this New Covenant was quite different. It was a relationship of love. It came into being because God loved the world so much. It was a relationship between a father and his children. Men and women were no longer criminals, and however disobedient they might be, they were the sons and daughters of God. It changed people's lives. 
not by imposing a new code of laws on them, but by changing their hearts. It therefore not only told people what to do, but gave them the strength to do it. With its commandments, it brought power. Go back to 2 Corinthians, verse 10 now. For what was glorious, that was what happened with Moses, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, that's something that has an end, came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which lasts? This is his concluding argument. The old covenant and the law were glorious. But in comparison to what they are, what we have now, it can't compare. The former glory was temporary, transitory. This new glory is permanent. The moment someone puts their faith and trust in Christ, they receive the Spirit, and they have this new glory. And they are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. They're sealed as a family member with the Lord. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. This last week at, at, at Lois's funeral, we shared about the hope that she has. That she's no longer in pain, no longer confused. And she had this great hope. And she spent her whole life telling other people about that hope that she had. And because of that hope, that allowed her to be bold. Well, we share that same hope that she shared. We share the same hope that Paul shares. So because of that, we're called to be bold. When was the last time you were bold with your faith? Or better yet, when was the last time you did anything that you had to be bold? You didn't have an opportunity to not be bold. Are you being bold because of the hope that you had? We know Paul was. Paul says about himself in the ministry, We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Paul's saying, because of the Spirit, my ministry is different. It's permanent. The old covenant faded away. This is permanent. But that veil is still present. Paul had seen it time and time again as he went from synagogue to synagogue Town to town, he would watch Jews who knew the Old Covenant, who knew the Torah, who knew the Tanakh, listen and reject Christ. They had veils on their eyes. They were wearing glasses with tape over them. They were missing the point. Despite seeing, despite Paul teaching about Christ, they missed it. It's not that the Jews were lacking in intellectual or cognitive ability as, as, as Paul went and spoke. It's not as I speak to the Jews and Gentiles alike and people from all over the world that tune in on YouTube. It's not that some people are just smarter and some people are not. It's not about a cognitive ability. It's not about intellect. It's a heart condition. There's a, a heart veil, a, a, something that, that blinds people. One commentator expressed it as a volitional inability as a result of a hardened disposition. Do you have the glasses on today? You need to put your faith and trust and take the glasses off. 
when I was at First Baptist, we had a, a person that had started attending. And he'd grown up his whole life going to church. He heard the Bible his whole life. And one day, it just hit him. And for the first time in his life, he surrendered to God. He said, God, I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. I'm a sinner. I need your saving grace. And then he said, and he started to read the Bible. It came alive for the first time. And he said, Pastor, I've been, I've been opening the Bible my whole life, just, just kind of glancing at it and just opening it. I never understood any of it. Since the moment I made that decision, it's like I just, I just can't put it down. He's like, it all makes so much sense. And I say that's because the Spirit reveals the truth in the Scriptures. And so if you want to understand this book, you have to put your faith in the Savior. Because the Holy Spirit opens it to us. People are often blinded by different things, by their thought processes. They go, they go to Scripture already having their mind made up and trying to see where it aligns with what they think. Or if it doesn't align, they, they don't believe it. Or, or maybe if it goes against any of their preconceived ideas, they say, well, then that's not true. Or, or I'll ignore all the parts of the Bible that I don't like and just accept the parts that I do like. Or I'll pick certain verses that, and I'll pull them out of context. You know, our, our world loves to say, judge not lest you be judged. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's a principle here. But the, Bi- the Bible also says we shouldn't judge those outside the church because that's the Lord's job. But we are to judge those inside the church because we're to call people to live holy lives. And so we're to come alongside each other, not in a way that is, you know, you jerk. But as brother, let's help you get out of this sin. Let's help you change. And so when it comes down to it, people are blinded by their sin, unwilling to examine their lives and surrender to the one true king of the universe, which is why I love this next verse. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When you turn to the Lord, surrender to the Lord, like Max said, it's like taking off the glasses. It's like being able to see for the very first time. The Lord shows us what true life is. Has that veil been removed from your heart? Is your heart alive? I live in verse 17. He says, The Lord is spirit, and with the spirit of the Lord there is freedom. When the veil is lifted, our dead hearts come to life. Some have misinterpreted this verse to say, hey, we have license to do whatever we want. But true freedom found in Christ gives us purpose. We are God's workmanship, created in Him to do good works, which He prepared for us in advance. I always use the example of a train. There's a train that wants to be free. He says, take me off the train tracks. I want to be free. And so they take him off the train tracks and he can't go anywhere because he needs the tracks to go. The tracks are like God's laws. When we follow them, we have freedom. And he leads us to a fulfilled life. But when we're off of it, we can't go anywhere. And we get frustrated. We think we want freedom, but God offers a different kind of freedom. One commentator put it this way. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, there is liberation to do the right thing to consider others first, to love others as we ought, to forgive the unforgivable, to return good for evil, and more to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. See, true freedom is found in having the ability to live a selfless 
God-loving life. That's true, life-giving, joy-inducing freedom. Verse 18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is Spirit. What's the result? Transformation. Transformation. In Romans... Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We are called to to surrender ourselves, everything we are, to say, God, this is a living sacrifice. For the remainder of my life, who I am, what I do, how I do it, is yours. To, To offer that sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing, it's it's a True and proper worship. And this is to not conform to the pattern of this world. And the patterns of this world are seen in a lot of things. Our selfishness, our desire for ourselves, our greed, our pride. But be transformed. That word metamorphosis. A complete transformation. Like a, like a, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by changing the way you think, by allowing God's Word to speak into your heart. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you allow His Word to impact how you think and how you walk. When Moses spoke with the Lord face to face in the tent of meeting, he was physically transformed. His his face shined brightly. But he also experienced spiritual transformation. We see time and time again the character that Moses walked and lived out. But Moses had this temporary exposure to the glory of the Lord. But we have a constant, continuous exposure because we have no veil. We have no glasses. Through the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed to be more like Christ and experience His glory as we grow closer to Him. One pastor heard phrased it this way, We become what we behold. We become what we behold. Are we beholding God and putting Him in the right place? See, it's important to remove the glasses so we can see clearly, but sometimes we have blind spots. I brought, my, my wife had to dig this out. She doesn't do very much makeup, but she has one of these makeup mirrors. Um, and if I look here, I, I'm, I can't really see anything. With a makeup mirror, you've got to go really close and then you see my nose is a little bit too big, and uh, I need to trim my eyebrows. see some random things if you look really close. But the point is, you don't see anything if you look from afar. Well, when we think about studying God's Word, often what people do is, uh, well, I, you know, I know I should read the Bible, and so we pick it up, and, and we just flip it open, and we read something real quick, and then we call it good. But to really grow in our walk with the Lord, we need to look closely. We need to study we need to allow it to change the way we think. To allow the truth and the Scriptures to stand in authority over how we live so that we're not conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed as we're allowing ourselves to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, to look more and more like Jesus. I, in a few weeks, or like a week and a half now, the Olympics are going to start. I, I love the Olympics. I, I just really enjoy, we and the family, we all get together, we watch it together. And um, uh, there was a story I just, I just read this week, heard about uh, Simone Biles, who is like one of the most amazing gymnasts ever, and she does flips that no one's ever done. Uh, well, there was this other um, gymnast, and I, 
I have to look here to 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 find her name. Um, let's see here. It was uh, Childs. Her last name's Childs. I'm blanking on her first name now. But um, she was Jordan Childs. Uh, she had gotten to a point where she finished 11th in the Nationals. She decided to 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 just stop gymnastics. She was done. She kind of said, "I'm that's enough. I'm done with it." And then she got a call from Simone with an invitation to come down and train in her gym. And so she went down and, and, and started training after she finished high school, started, started training with Simone Biles. And, uh, and, and now it says that um, they finished first and second in the, in the women's competition for the U.S. Gymnastics Championship. Uh, and they're going to the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, hoping to represent the company, the country, uh, with, with the Olympics. But the point being, she thought she was at the point where she was going to quit, and this person who's the best said, come, come with me. I'll take you under my wing. I'll, I'll train you. And now when you watch her, you'll see a lot, a lot of the same habits. And, and really, when we think about anything in life, when we're trying to train somebody, we're trying to help them become a little more like us. We want them to learn. So if you work, if you work in a, a, a place like when I worked for McDonald's, I would train people how to, this is what a, how you make a Big Mac. Because frankly, if you, if you go to McDonald's in Pennsylvania or, or Michigan or Florida, the Big Mac should be the exact same thing. I mean, they, they even have like a Wendy's, you know, you take a spoon, you put a, a ketchup on it, and you, every single person uses a spoon different. At McDonald's, there's a gun, you go, and, it's, and there's the correct amount of Big Mac sauce. Like, there's no, there's no science to it, you just got to go like that. So it should be the same everywhere. But if you have bought Big Macs throughout the world, you know, that's not the same because people like, er, here's lettuce, and then some, there's a million lettuce. I'm getting on a tangent, I'm sorry. <laughs> the point being, when I worked at McDonald's, I would, I would walk with people and show them, this is how you make a sandwich. And I would try to teach them, do it like I do it. And, and when this passes, we're, we're called to be transformed into the image, to be conformed to the image of our Creator, to become more and more like Jesus, to look more and more like Jesus. And I believe that the best way to do that is in community. See, God designed this for community. When Jesus walked the earth, what, what did he have? Well, he spoke and ministered to the crowds. He taught the crowds. He healed the crowds. But then he had these followers. In one place, 120. Another, 70. And we see in one place in Luke, he sent out the 70 to go do ministry. So he kind of had a, a congregation, so to speak. And then he had the 12 that he did ministry with and, and walked through life together with. And then he had the three, Peter, James, and John. Then he went, went deeper with and, and, and it would pull them aside sometimes. And I believe that that model is important for us to think through. Because if we want to become more and more like Jesus, we need others to walk along the path with us, to help us, to challenge us when we're we're going astray. And so I'm thankful in my life that I have our our congregation that that, that gathers every week, this family that we've chosen to be part of, that we love being a part of. And then I have my life group, which is meeting, which I won't be with you guys today because there's new Connections class, but... Um, we're meeting and, and we do life together and, and we share our, our prayer requests and, and, and share with each other. And I'm a D group that every week is, is challenging me to be conformed to the image of Christ, to, to walk in godliness. Because that's the goal. We want to be transformed in the image of Christ with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So you all want what's better. 
whether it be a, a mansion or a Lamborghini instead of a Ford Escort or a run-down house, we all want what's better. But the reality is, for those of us that know Jesus, we already have it. We already have what's best. We don't need a Lamborghini. We don't need a big house. We have the most glorious thing. Way more glorious than the Old Covenant. Way more glorious than than Moses with a shining face. We have the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside of us. Giving power, as we talked last week, to have victory over sin. Giving power to demonstrate His glory so that we can be His image bearers as we go about each and every day in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods. That we can be image bearers that other people look at us and they see Christ lived through us. We already have everything we need. We have the Holy Spirit. And we have each other to walk with it so that we can help each other conform to the image of His likeness. May we continually look closely on the Word of God. May we continually remove the blinders. And may we be people that reflect God's image in our communities and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, You're so good. You're so good. Lord, You're so patient with us. Lord, sometimes we don't reflect that glory. We allow anger, bitterness, strife, fear, guilt, shame, envy, pride, lust, We allow these things to to seep into our lives. As we do that, our light shines less bright. Lord, we know we have the power to fight temptation. We know we have the power to demonstrate who You are to those that don't know. So Lord, we just pray that You'll help us to walk in the best gift that could ever be given. To rely on the Spirit. To walk in step with the Spirit. To demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. Lord, if there's anyone here today or listening online that still has their blinders on, that still has the glasses, they can't see, they open up the Bible, they can't understand, I just pray that you remove those glasses. I pray that today they will choose to give their life to you, to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't do this on my own. That they will today put their faith and trust. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're helping to make that decision today. In your name we pray. Amen.